What is up, motherfuckers? It's Pecone, otherwise known as Michael Hunter, also known as at ACCBR1 on Twitter. This is the ACC Basketball Report. I am back. Um, well, temporarily back. I'm back for the next hour of your lives. I'm not going to say that I'm going to put a pod out every week. <clears throat> At this point, it's still April, for Christ's sakes. What is there to talk about? Well, there's actually a lot to talk about. And what I did today was I brought in one of my favorite guests, my brother. My, uh, you know, the the Warner to my hunter. Um, you know, Jonathan Warner. This is his third, fourth time on the pod. You know, we, we've done his show together a few times. We've done The Rock and 25 together a couple times. We've done this show together a couple times. You know, it's kind of just who you're comfortable with and who you can just sit down and have a conversation with. Here's the thing about J-Dub that you guys may not know. The kid is fucking hilarious. All right? Um, you guys don't know the Jonathan Warner that I know. Um, <clears throat> you know, he gets on and he's. And it sounds like he's in a tuxedo, okay? But when you talk to this kid, sometimes you got to drag it out of him with a tow truck. And we kind of got there at the end of this episode, but the kid is funny. The kid's sarcastic. He's very smart. He's very, the knowledge is there. Um, and, and sometimes he just, uh, he, he, it's funny. I don't, I don't know what it is about Jay, but, uh, you kind of got to bring it out of him a little bit. And, uh, I mean, he's, the, the kid knows what he's talking about. He's one of the best bracket guys out there, especially one of the, he's absolutely one of the best bracket guys that I work with, him and, and Lucas, for sure, um, as well as Eric Haslam from Haslametrics. And uh, just a great hang. I mean, every time that I have a conversation with J-Dub, we have a good time, and, uh, you know, it's, it's a comfort thing, and it's always a good conversation. Um, don't forget, like, rate, review, share the podcast. I, I hate you know, harping on that, but I, I guess I got to say it. Um, again, this is not a, this is not going to be a weekly thing at this right now. I just, you know, we had this scheduled for a week ago or a week and a half ago and I texted him and I said, I just, I don't feel like doing it. I mean, I could come up with a million excuses. Like, you know, my, my grandmother could die for the 25th time in my life, but I just, I'm not going to come up with that excuse. I just don't feel like doing it. It's April. I don't give a shit. And, uh, you know, but I got, you know, it took two days to do a complete 180 and, and that's how, that's how quickly it turns. And that's kind of the way it's going to be for probably the next three months or so. Uh, I'm not going to be like other podcasts and, and take the entire off season off, but I'm also not going to be like other podcasts and still maintain, like this podcast has been in the past. I still try to do it every week to two weeks in the off season last year. And, and what happened was I got to the end of December last year in the season. I just got burnt out, man. I mean, you can only do this. If I got paid to do just this and just run ACCBasketballReport.com, shameless plug, then then you you guys would see me be a fucking madman because I'd be Hunter S. Thompson. I'd be sitting here doing drugs, drinking bourbon, and just pumping out content all day long. But, you know, I also got a, I also got a day job that, that requires a lot of time and a lot of effort. It's very stressful. Some of you guys know what I do for a living. And... At the end of the day, you just want to sit down and have a beer and pet the dog and watch Bad Boys 3, which is what I'm going to do here in about six minutes. So, <clears throat> you know, I hope you guys enjoy. I hope you guys are, are being safe. Um, it, what's funny about this Corona thing was, you know, we, we were talking about it in the Rockin' 25 DM 
very early on, I want to say late February, Kevin Sweeney was ha- had a concern about it. Jonathan, I believe, had a, had a concern about it. Um, you know, Eric, me and Eric Haslam, some of the older guys, were kind of dismissive of it. Haslam turned around on it very quickly. Um, I did not follow suit, and I was more of the uh, bah, you know, the regular flu is worse. Blah 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 blah. And you know, since then, I've I've done a complete one eighty and. Unfortunately, I, you know, my day job falls within a industry where, you know, I'm, I'm essential, which is some of the dumbest shit I've ever heard in my life. But, you know, I, luckily I have the opportunity to go to work every day and still collect a paycheck. I know there's some people out there that are, are not fortunate enough to, to still have a, a paycheck through these times. And that's terrible. Um, you know, I, I certainly feel for those people and, the, the use of the word essential is, is kind of ridiculous at this point because the people that aren't considered essential, I think we're seeing just how essential those people are as far as, you know, how we go about our everyday lives. At this point, I think there are very few people that are unessential. Um, and, and it's going to be a long time, I think, before we get back to you know, the way things were six, eight months ago. You know what I mean? I don't know the next, I can't tell you the next time I'm going to go to the, the movie theater and actually watch a movie. I don't know when the next time I'm going to be comfortable with my parents jumping on a plane and flying to Maine to see my nephew. I don't know, you know, when the next time I'm going to go to a rock concert is. And, and where, especially an indoor confined concert in a, in a, as opposed to an open air stadium. Um, it, those things, it's going to be interesting to see how that comes back. I hope you guys are all doing well. I hope you know none of you guys, or your relatives, have experienced any loss. Though I know that's probably pretty unlikely. Um, but you know, the only thing I can do is encourage you guys to be safe. And uh, you know, what you need to do is in a time like this, you need to be considerate of other people, but you also need to look out for yourselves and your family. And I know you guys all do that. And I hope that uh, I hope that you're able to do that um, while still maintaining you know, viability as far as, you know, your financial situations. So anyway, enough gloomy shit. I know you guys are here to hear about basketball and Jonathan Warner and I are going to do that. So please welcome Jonathan for the third, fourth, I don't know time, but we're going to talk about everything. We're going to do what we typically do. We're going to go around the nation for the best stories there. And then we're going to drill down into the ACC. I hope you guys enjoy it. This is the ACC Basketball Report. What's up, asshole? Hello? Michael? Hey! Hi. What are you doing? Not a whole lot. Ready for this uh, podcast? What, uh, how's, uh, you're out in the Midwest, right? <clears throat> yeah. How's, uh, how's the, uh, the situation out there? I'd say, in, at least where I'm at, it's with the virus, it's going all right. I think there, there's people with the virus, but it's not like, I think it's bigger more towards the East Coast, I think, where you're at than it would be uh, than, I guess, here. Yeah. Um, are you, are, you know, I'm recording, by the way. Um are you in, I don't really know what you do for a living, but are, are you in lockdown? Are you able to work? Are you, are, are you going through any of that employment? What, what effect has it had on you? 
I've kind of been on lockdown personally. Uh, so, yeah, just kind of locked down, doing not a whole lot, really. Just kind of chilling, I guess. <laughs> I would love, you know, I was thinking I would love to do that for, for like 10 days, I think, and then I'd be climbing the goddamn walls. Um, <clears throat> yeah. So, what we got for you guys tonight, I know it's been quite a while since I was on. Uh, took a few weeks off, kind of unplugged from the whole college basketball situation, um, taking a little inventory uh, due to the whole coronavirus thing, which I'm sure everybody's sick of hearing about. I'm sick of writing about it with, all, with the articles that I sell through NUP. Um, so we're going to kind of stay away from that tonight, but it's good to, uh, good to be back. Got an itch, kind of like Percy Harvin. I uh, got an itch to come back, drop in, give you guys some thoughts, give you guys some something to listen to while you're on the treadmill or while you're vacuuming or, or whatever. And, uh, you know, J-Dub is one of the more popular guys that I have on from time to time. And I thought, uh, you know, no better person to uh, to bring in with me tonight to just bullshit about some college basketball. Um what we're going to do is we're going to go kind of nationwide with three or four things. Then we'll we'll kind of, uh, you know, do a, a little dig into uh, the ACC, give you guys some thoughts on the offseason so far. Certainly all the chips are not in place yet. J-Dub, on a national level, I think probably, you know, one of the one of the teams that I know you and myself and, and some of the other guys in the Rockin' 25 that we were looking at very early as being a top five team going into next season was Creighton. They were one of the hottest teams last season, certainly one of the hottest teams going into uh, you know, what would have been um, the NCAA tournament. Tyshawn Alexander is definitely staying in the draft. Um, wh- where do you think this, this takes Creighton? Does it, take, it certainly takes them out of the top five, I believe. Does it take them out of the top ten? Um, and, and where do you see them as far as your preseason poll goes? I think it, it definitely takes them out of the top five mm-hmm. going into the off season, I kind of had Alexander projected to stay uh, with Creighton. In which case, I think there there was a pretty clear top four with them: Gonzaga, mm-hmm. Baylor, and Villanova. At least for me, when I was kind of looking at the rosters, and with him gone, I still think they're a top twenty-five team. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're still probably the second best team in the Big East behind Villanova, uh, but. Certainly, I think more so defensively than offensively. He, him not being there is going to you know, make it a lot easier for teams to score in Creighton. Uh, look at this season in particular. He had a couple games. He shut down Marcus Howard, shut mm-hmm. down Miles Powell. I think that's kind of something you just don't replace. Uh, and you know, maybe Alex O'Connell gets a waiver. Uh, as you've said on this very podcast, he can't go to full folding chairs. So, uh, not sure how. I've said that on a few much, different shows, actually. <laughs> not sure how much that uh, is going to help them defensively. Offensively, they're still going to probably, I think, be fine without Alexander. They'll still probably score uh, 75, 80 points a game, depending on the game. Maybe they go off, they score 100. Maybe they have an offshoot tonight, score 60. They're still going to be good offensively. But I think defensively, this that's where creating a team that really wasn't all that great last year uh, defensively, I think they're 
dramatically worse without their lockdown, do-it-all defender, Tyshawn Alexander. What what would be your expectation from a guy like O'Connell, who, you know, his defense has improved. I may have judged unfairly in the past, uh, but offensively, he's incredibly athletic. He he can shoot it a little bit. Um, what what would be your expectation from him? I, I would say up front, maybe eight to ten points a game. I think he's probably going to step in and be a, you know a big minutes guy for them. What do you think is a is a a, a, a likely expectation or? or uh, a reasonable expectation for him coming into the season. Say he does get a waiver, which um, <clears throat> Kevin Sweeney from CBB Central wrote an article today that he thinks that it, it could be possible that it comes this year. I think it makes more sense to come a year from now, um, given everything that's going on. But it looks like that they may incorporate this for the for this upcoming season. So O'Connell may play immediately. What would be a reasonable expectation for him for at Creighton uh, in the twenty twenty one season? I think. He- it would probably be comes in, uh, might start, might be like a six man role. Uh, they kind of have a couple different guys, depending on if they want to start O'Connell, if they want to start Denzel Mahoney, who really emerged late last season. Be like the last starter, six man, come in, score, you know, eight to 10 points a game, shoot 40% from the perimeter, uh, be a real contributor. Offensively, I think that's kind of an expectation I would have for him going into Creighton next season. Uh, I think if you're asking for a little bit more than that, you're maybe he can provide that. But I think be kind of a glue guy, roll guy, uh, kind of a guy that can stretch the perimeter and uh, help you offensively. Is is there any? I think you know Marcus Zagorowski probably one of the front runners for Big East Player of the Year next year. Is there any room for him to grow, or do you, do you think he's kind of hit his ceiling? Because, I mean, he, he's he's a wizard. I mean, he's one of maybe the most underrated players in the country, in my opinion. But is there any room? Is he going to get any bigger, or any better, I should say? Can they expect more from him uh, going into his junior season, do you think? Yeah, I think he'll get a little bit better, uh, just because... You know, maybe he doesn't get quite get as better. He will have kind of an off season to heal after kind of being banged up. Mm-hmm. Maybe get to you know starts figuring out how to you know drive and score around the paint a little bit better. I think you'll just kind of see a refinement, more of a you know he'll take it kind of a more bigger role for the team. He won't be kind of maybe passing to Tyshawn Alexander when he could go get his own basket. Maybe you'll see that, but I think he'll be, I think he'll be a little bit better. Maybe the development from year two to year three of Zagorowski isn't as big as it was from year one to year two, but I think he'll, he'll still be pretty clearly the best player on the Creighton team. Yeah, absolutely. Um, going to, I guess what would be considered, Kind of a, a more surprising commitment as far as one of the grad transfers goes. Uh, Purdue center, Matt Harms, uh, hits, hits the, you know, the free agent, the transfer market as a graduate transfer uh, in a couple weeks ago. Uh, was down to Kentucky, Texas Tech, and BYU. And then either last night or the night before, ends up uh, committing to, to Brigham Young. Um, you know, comes into um, comes into a school that's losing T.J. Hawes, losing Jake Toulson, losing Ueli Childs. You know, Alex Barcelo is back. 
Um, I, I don't know how this makes a whole lot of sense. Does this does this make any sense to you? And where do you think this brings BYU as far as you know uh, on a national stage? What is their upside here? I think it can make some sense uh, if you look at it through Matt Harms. Maybe you know at Purdue he was tired of being the second guy behind Travion Williams. Maybe he thought he might go into or Kentucky or Texas Tech not quite get as much shine being kind of the fourth or fifth option offensively, whereas going to BYU, he's probably the number two option for them, maybe the number one option. So I think in that regard, maybe it makes a little bit of sense. Uh, as a whole, though, him going to Texas Tech or Kentucky, that I think Texas Tech with Matt Harms uh, it, right now, Texas Tech, I'm not too sold on their front court. Mm-hmm. They he goes there, I think they're, you know, very potentially... They're a national title contender. Yeah, I could, I would throw them, maybe not in that group of three that I have Put at the in. top, which is Gonzaga, Baylor, and Villanova, but sure. I'd throw them in that next group of teams. I still think they can be in that next group of teams if they get the right piece, or Joel, Nguyen, I can't pronounce it. And Tomboy. Yeah, Joel and Tomboy. And Tomboy. Yeah. Yeah, if he plays well, maybe they can be in that second tier of teams competing for a national championship. But I think that harms is more of a sure thing. You know what you're going to get. And same thing with Kentucky. Uh, while Kentucky has you know some talent, obviously, coming in, uh, they're, they were kind of missing that front court piece. They lost Nick Richards. Uh, and then, obviously, E.J. Montgomery going to the NBA draft. I don't really know what he was thinking <laughs> going to the NBA draft there. Uh, I think if you gave him a mulligan, maybe he might consider uh, taking that mulligan right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, I would certainly, if I were advising him, advise him to go back to Kentucky, where he would probably start next year and be the starting five. So I, I think looking at it that way, it doesn't make a lot of sense. But if you maybe look at it, maybe he can be the number number one option at BYU and score 16 points a game and beat up a bunch of, you know, no offense to WCC, but it's a little bit less talented than the Big 12 or even the SEC, which I don't think is actually that good. Uh, it's a little bit easier than both those leagues. Yeah, but is is Harms a player in your mind that even when he transfers down from the Big Ten to the WCC, I mean, he's not a guy that's going to go out there and get fifteen and nine still, right? Even even in the WCC, he's not that that's that's not the player that he is, right? Am I am I misunderstanding this situation, or are you seeing something that I'm not? Because I I still don't think he's that guy. I I don't really see him as that guy, but. You know, he'll get at BYU. He'll be the number one option. Mm-hmm. So he's going to get more touches. I can see a situation where he maybe averages 15, 16 points a game. Uh, not really an elite rebounder. He's a good, you know, shot blocker, rim protector archetype. But which which is what would make him make, fantastic at Texas Tech. Yeah, Texas Tech, Kentucky, one of those two schools, I think, makes a lot more sense than BYU. 
maybe he just wants to go out, uh, be the king of the little people and uh, <laughs> score 15, 16 points a game. Uh, and if that's the case, if he wants to do that, then I'm not going to stop him. I'm just, from a college basketball perspective, it makes more sense to fit in with the Kentucky or Texas Tech. Is BYU a tournament team? I still, I'm still not buying into BYU as a tournament team. I wasn't really buying into them last year, and they proved me wrong. So, Mark Pope is an excellent coach. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't put anything past them, but I think they're in for a down year. But yeah, I think wouldn't be the first time I would be wrong. Well, nah, let's let's not go there. But I, I mean, if you give me, <laughs> I mean, if you give me an opportunity to be the guy in the Kentucky front court for the most part, when you look at what's there now and what's coming in and who you are, if you told me that I could play with Ashton Hagens and BJ Boston and be the man in the front court, then I, I don't understand the you know going going to Utah, but. Whatever. Uh, it, you know, it's his decision. I'm sure he had a reason for it. Um, moving on for Texas Tech, actually, uh, they are in the running for what I, I would what I consider, maybe not defensively, but a better big man overall in, in transfer from uh, Virginia Commonwealth and, and Marcus Santos Silva. He's now on the board as a graduate transfer. Texas Tech is in his final list. What do you think would be a good fit for Santos Silva, who is... If you guys don't know, a, a fantastic player. I believe he led VCU in both scoring and rebounding last year. If not scoring, certainly in rebounding. But what do, what do you think is a good fit for him, and where do you think he ends up? I, I think Texas Tech makes a lot of sense there. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think with every big man, we may as well just throw Texas Tech out there. But, yeah, the Red Raiders make a lot of sense for him. He can kind of come in. He'll you know. It'd be kind of a little bit undersized in the Big 12, uh, but the Big 12 is also not a league that's going to be, you know, necessarily dominated by big men the way it was kind of this year. Sure. Uh, you know, a couple pieces of like Gillespie and uh, Azabuke are both gone from the Big 12. So, you know, I think he's more fit in to go to the Big 12 this year than let's say would be last year. Uh, just with kind of the rebuilding, the restructuring of that league, I think he can go in, you know, kind of do his thing, be kind of the energy, rebound every single shot, uh, get some putbacks, get some shots at the rim. I think Texas Tech's a really good fit. And it won't really, you know, with let's say he goes to a Big Ten school. Uh, I don't know if there's any Big Ten schools in his final list I actually haven't seen it uh, he would probably get more exposed because he's going against a couple you know like a Travion Williams or mm-hmm. someone like that on a every night basis I think going to the Big 12 especially this year makes a lot of sense for him so I'm going to say Texas Tech is the prediction for him Would he have the same impact for you as far as be- being a national making Texas Tech a national title contender as say Matt Harms? I wouldn't go that far. I think Harms is just, uh, you know, absolutely perfect fit. While I think he makes Texas Tech, I think he makes them, 
he maybe puts them in that, you know, next tier of teams that are, you know, capable of winning a national title. I think that arms just makes Texas Tech a little bit better. I, do, I agree. But certainly him going to Texas Tech is not going to hurt them by any means. So I think, uh, oh, I, I don't think, I know, though, so I'm looking at it right now, but uh, just real quick, John Rothstein, Rothstein tweeted yesterday, our favorite uh, college sports analyst, quote-unquote, um, tweeted yesterday, Santos Silva's has cut his list to six, those six being Old Miss, Georgia, Penn State, Arizona State, Texas Tech, and Maryland. So of those six, uh, you know, of those six, one of these things is not like the other, and that one thing is Texas Tech. I, you know, I, I would never... You know, Maryland and Godfrey can promise, or sorry, Maryland and Turgeon can uh, can promise him a lot. Certainly with uh, with Jalen Smith going pro, but when it comes to Chris Beard, Chris Beard is some kind of wizard. So, given those six programs, I don't see how he doesn't end up at Texas Tech. But again, it's a it's a preference thing on his part. You never know. You know, much like Matt Harms going to BYU instead of either Kentucky or Texas Tech, what what these kids think as far as educational or, or best fit or scheme or, or relationships with, with staff or anything like that. So um, <clears throat> I think the last I had seen was like 12, but he has since cut it down to six teams. Still, I, I think what, what J-Dub and I are talking about, Texas Tech makes the most sense as far as fit, as far as playing time, as far as national title contender. Texas Tech is kind of where it's at. Um, last thing on Nationwide before we move on and, and kind of deep dive into the ACC real quick. Uh, five-star big man Greg Brown passes up an opportunity to go to the G League today. Reports say that, you know, $300,000 on the table for Greg Brown. Um, he ends up in Austin at Texas playing for Shaka Smart. Uh, you know, apparently he would prefer that his money be untaxed in a duffel bag instead of through a paycheck. Uh, my question to Jonathan is, with you, Luke Yaklich now gone, having taken a head coaching position, does does this matter at all for Texas? Is Texas back, first of all, which, which I know you'll answer honestly, but is, I mean, we've seen Shaka not make the tournament with five-star big men before. Is this going to be another example of that? Let me let me start out by saying this: Texas is back. Okay. Uh, wow. Okay. I, th- I, I think I like the roster. I, think this I have makes to admit, them a top twenty-five team. You know, they have a lot of returning talent. Uh, you know, the that essentially everyone is returning from mm-hmm. last year's team. That while that team struggled throughout the season, definitely did peak kind of towards the end of the season, and was a team that. Uh, you know, was right there on the bubble. Sure, nineteen uh, and twelve, the, nine, nine the big bowl. after. Uh, I think you got that return talent. You got Greg Brown, who, well, you, you have the Mo Bombas of the world. Uh, I think Brown fits their system a little bit better because he can kind of play that uh, four man. You know, stretch you out and attack the paint. I think he's just a different type of skill. I think fits. Texas a little bit better can kind of help them go up and down and, you know, play a little bit faster pace, which I think is what is needed. Uh, Do I think that makes Texas a national championship contender? Like some people have said on Twitter, which how is this app free? No, 
Uh, I don't say they're a title contender or anything close to that, but sure they can be like a back-end top 25 team, make the NCAA tournament, and maybe save Shaka Smart's job for another year. I think that's a very reasonable expectation for Texas going into next season. You know, it's actually interesting. I I assumed that <clears throat> they lost at least one player. Uh, looking at their looking at their roster right now, they lose nobody. Like they they just lost nobody, and they just got one of the best players in the country uh, to come into the program. Now, I, I'm not quite sold. I'm I'm not a huge uh, Courtney Ramey guy. I do really like Matt Coleman. I like Jericho Sims. I even really like Gerald Liddell, who's a sophomore 6'8 forward, plays on the wing, uh, who only played, I think, 15 games last year, if I'm checking that right. Yeah, 15. Um, but I, I think, you know, I watched them play, uh, was in Purdue. I think I watched them play in West Lafayette last year. And I was super impressed with them. And I, I was buying all the stock that anybody could sell in Texas. And then they did the predictable thing, and they fell off. And I sold all my stock. And then they did the other predictable thing, which is kind of like you said, they recovered, finishing nineteen and twelve, nine and nine in the Big Twelve, finished in third in that conference. Would they have made the tournament this past season? You think going into Selection Sunday, if we had had the tournament? Um, I'm actually going to pull up my uh, end of season bracketology first. Sure. Um. Yes. They would have made the tournament, but they would have been playing in. Dayton. Yes, they would have been playing in Dayton mm-hmm. uh, for the NCAA tournament. But how, I had them making the NCAA tournament. How big is the loss of of Luke Acklage? I I think it's a little bit of a loss, but at the same time, uh, I guess. You kind of you're getting all the same players back on the same page. Uh, so while Luke Yaklich is gone, you kind of have the defensive principles down. Mm-hmm. Uh, the players with another year of playing together know what spot to be in. A little bit of that. I think if you're going into a new season and you have you know a bunch of new players uh, going to that system. Maybe it's a bigger hit, but I think it's it's not really that big of a loss, at least for this year. I think maybe it could be in the future, but I don't think it's a huge loss this year. And more so, I think the players make the game, and having a superstar, five-star freshman like uh, Greg Brown coming in uh, is certainly, I think, more impactful, at least for this year, than let's say, having Luke Yaklich and not having Craig Brown for this season. Uh, that's uh, yeah, the Talent on the floor. Sometimes it's not about X's and O's. Sometimes it's just about the Jimmys and Joes. Um, going to the ACC, it's been a, a very interesting offseason in the Atlantic Coast Conference. Um, you know, a lot of, if you guys haven't, haven't been paying attention, I've been keeping an updated hot stove page, you know, tagged to the top of the website, accbasketballreport.com, with all subtractions and additions for each and every team, uh, which, by the way, has been a pain in the dick as far as WordPress goes because whenever I seem to update it through the website, it doesn't take, but when I update it through the app on my phone, it seems to take just fine. Um, So for those of you who may have seen me tweet it out, You'll notice that when you click on the update for 422, when you get to the page, it actually says the update for 411. And that's the problem I've been running into. I've been trying to work with WordPress. They've been very unhelpful. 
but that's what it is. We're trying to keep up with that. Jonathan, in your estimation, is there a clear winner and loser in the ACC as far as the offseason goes in your mind? Well, I think there's one clear loser in the ACC offseason, and it's uh, Florida State. I am, I am, uh, I bought all the Florida State stock last year. Mm-hmm. Uh, it certainly paid off. I'm selling every single dime of the Florida State stock uh, that I can this year. I just, I'm not buying into this team. Uh, their guard play, it's it's just a team with a. They have a bunch of long and athletic guys, but they don't have a point guard. I think Trent Force uh, was extremely underrated and uh, kind of, I think he was extremely underrated. Devin DeSell, I think we know, if you've listened to this podcast, you know I think he's an outstanding player, kind of just a you know, perfect 3 and D player. I think mm-hmm. he's going to translate to the NBA. Losing those two players, Patrick Williams as well, I think the loss of Patrick Williams and adding Sky Barnes is kind of, you know, maybe a minor upgrade. Uh, I just don't really see a lot to like at the guard position. Maybe MJ Walker, you know, does something that the good version MJ Walker shows up uh, for the entire season, but. I'm just not really buying into the backcourt. And, yes, I know Leonard Hamilton has done it time and time again. I just had no-name players step up and play big roles. But I'm just not buying uh, the four-state stock, at least for this season. Uh, I'll save some of the stock and buy it maybe for the next season. But selling all of it for some great value this season. Yeah, I actually, uh, you know, I did... You know, when I was trying to promote this podcast um, over there earlier this week, I you know I tweeted out. It said, you know, I expect Virginia, North Carolina, and Duke to be very good. I expect Louisville, and Florida State, to take a, take kind of a step back. And I I received uh, uh, somebody slid into my DMs who will remain nameless, but he knows who he is. He listens to the pod, um, and said, you know, gave me a a, a long diatribe of examples of how Florida State has overcome losses such as these big-time losses. You know, Malik Beasley left early, Dwayne Bacon left early. You know, we've, we've, we've experienced these losses as, you know, fans of Florida State for, for years, and, you know, the disrespect to Leonard Hamilton needs to stop. And for me, it's not, it's, you know, what I tried to explain was, it's, it's not a disrespect issue for me and Leonard Hamilton. Leonard Hamilton gets a bad rep around, you know, all college basketball circles as far as prognosticators and, and people like us that, that commentate. I, I don't know what it's like for you, but for me, it, it's not a knock on Leonard Hamilton. It's just the fact that Trent Forrest was the best defensive guard in the ACC, bar none. You can talk Trey Jones all day. Trent Forrest was a better defensive player in the ACC than Trey Jones was last year. Devin Vassell wasn't far behind him and was one of the best defensive wings in the ACC last year. Now you get a 6'9 forward in Patrick Williams who is a super athletic guy that can make plays on both ends of the floor, sixth man of the year in the ACC. He's now no longer with the team. So like you said, J-Dub, this team doesn't have a point guard. We expect Scotty Barnes to play some point guard and that 
is my understanding, having spoken to some people, that he is going to play some point guard in the Terrence Mann type, you know, type role. But it's not, this isn't disrespect to Leonard Hamilton, who I've gone on The Rock and 25 and praised. I've gone on ACC Weekly and praised. I've gone on ACC Nation and praised. Leonard Hamilton is not a subpar coach, in my opinion, as other people have expressed. It's a it's an experience issue. I, I, I you know I like Sardar Calhoun. I think he can shoot the shit out of the ball. But JUCO guys, there's a transition period. Okay, so we saw it with uh, Tomas Walden Tensai at Virginia last year. Scotty Barnes is a true freshman. I don't give a shit how good he is. You can't step into the ACC and play the point guard from day one and be tremendously effective and 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 boost the team up on your shoulders. MJ Walker is very talented. And he shows up 50 to 60% of the time. And other times you don't even know he's on the roster. So is is this that you don't have faith? You know, that's my opinion. Do you, you have faith in Leonard Hamilton but not the roster? Or is it a combination of both for you? It It's more of a looking at the roster. I just don't see where the pieces fit. Uh, where they would otherwise. I Leonard Hamilton... An excellent coach uh, is good at developing talent. I think he's very underrated in that aspect. He gets a lot of athletic, versatile guys in there, but you know the job he does and his coaching staff does at you know developing those players and you know they come in as kind of you know underrated recruits. They leave and you know some are in the draft lottery, some are most of them are finding themselves getting picked somewhere. And if they're not picked, they're, you know, playing professionally overseas. You look at Devin Bissell this year, you know, last two years ago, he's a, the 200 recruit in the country this year. I think he's potentially a top 10 pick in the NBA draft. And, <laughs> you know, he's done an outstanding job at developing talent while he's been at Florida state. Uh, I just really don't, I don't see a point guard on this roster. Sky Barnes, we'll see. Maybe he can run the point and be better than I think. But I would like them to have a point guard, and that's kind of a piece they're missing. I still think they're going to be good. I still think they're going to be an NCAA tournament team. They're still going to wear home jerseys in the first round of the NCAA tournament. I'm just not going to quite buy them being – you know, the level of team that they were this season or anything close to that. Because I think this team that they they had this year was, you know, an extremely special group of talent and players that meshed it together really well for Florida State. Is, is, there a, is there a clear winner in the offseason for you as far as the ACC goes? Um... I think there's there's not really, you know, outside of, I think, you know, maybe Syracuse is a, another loser, but I don't really see a ton of winners. I see a lot of, you know, teams that are not losing, not winning, but I don't really see a clear winner. Maybe you could go uh, with Duke and keep Wendell Moore, uh, Matthew Hurt for another season. So maybe Duke's the winner. Uh, that also had Patrick uh, Tate, uh, who committed, 
decommitted, then committed again. <laughs> uh, the whole cycle. That was just a, that the, was just a, that was just a salary holdout. Was all that was. <laughs> one of the great uh, all time, you know, switcheroos, <laughs> and then double sw- switcheroos with him. Uh, no one knew what he was doing, but he's on the Duke roster. That's right. The next year, you know, if, so we, that, if we that's that's the point we needed to get to. It, it, you know, if we don't consider, you know, if we consider the overall picture, which is, which is what I've taken uh, with the uh, with the hot stove on ACC basketball report. You know, I think Duke is a clear winner. I think North Carolina is a clear winner. Um, you know, whatever whatever talents you know Cole Anthony may possess, for whatever reason, it wasn't conducive to wins in that system for that coach whatever it doesn't matter you know at the college at the college basketball level the Cole Anthony experiment did not work now he's a very good basketball player he's going to make a lot of money in the NBA and he's going to you know he's going to make a team and you know he's going to be a lottery pick and this is all going to be forgotten in just a few years but for whatever reason Cole Anthony and Chapel Hill didn't work um, the additions that North Carolina will make um, next year Carolina's back. Okay, we we can argue about whether or not Texas is back. Carolina's definitely back. Okay, they have one, two, three, four, five recruits coming in. Um, basically, a new starting five if that's the way they want to go. All ranked within the top fifty-five in the nation according to the ACC Basketball Report Hot Stove. Notre Dame is a huge loser in my opinion. John Mooney, T.J. Gibbs, Rex Fluger, all gone. Um, Cormac Ryan, eh, not sold. Having talked to <clears throat> Nate Erbach of, of uh, SlapTheSign.com, they love Cormac Ryan. They love what they've seen him do in practice. They they like Trey Wirtz, who's a wing from Santa Clara, who I don't believe will be eligible till 21-22 unless, you know, the waiver rule is 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 passed and then he'll be immediately eligible. You know, uh, Trey, uh, Pittsburgh, less Trey McGowans, is fucking horrible for them as he led that team when Xavier... Uh, Johnson kind of regressed last year. Syracuse really needs Alan Griffin, a forward from Illinois, to be to be eligible. Um, I think, in my opinion, if I was going to say who the biggest loser in the conference is, though, I got to look at Louisville. Um, Ryan McMahon graduation, Stephen Enoch graduation, Dwayne Sutton graduation, Fresh Kimball graduation, Darius Perry transfers to Central Florida, Jordan Wars going pro as an early entry. And Jay Scrub, who was the top-ranked JUCO in the nation, has decided to bypass Division One and go straight to the NBA. I do not expect him to reverse that decision. I think it could be a rough one for Chris Mack. What is your, what is your, I guess, assumption, or, or or what do you make of Louisville going into next season with what they look like right now? I think a lot of that hinders upon the development of David Johnson, Mm -hmm. Samuel Williamson, and Malik Williams. Mm -hmm. If that trio can, you know, be, you know, improve, if Williamson can, Williamson, I think, needs to take the biggest step forward, but obviously David Johnson as well. I think if David Johnson can kind of become, you know, a, you know, top 10 player in the league next year, uh, Sam you know, Williamson can maybe become a top 25 player in the ACC next season. Malik Williams is really good. I do like the additions of Carlos Jones and Charles Menwin. Uh, both those transfers kind of uh, 
Jones was, I think, a really good pickup, and then men like kind of the backup. Uh, Jay Scrub left. Um, Chris Mack did a good job scrambling and getting him to enroll in Louisville. I I think they're I I'm a little bit more buying into Louisville than I guess you are. Uh, I don't necessarily see them being. I think with Jay Scrub or with the you know. Uh, Jordan Orr next season, we're looking at Louisville as being a excellent team, but I still think I'm not going to completely buy into Louisville next season, but I think they can be good. I think they can be uh, kind of a you know five through eight seed in the NCAA tournament next year, and uh, maybe I think that what you'll see is maybe they get a, like a six or seven seed. Or something like that. I think they're they'll be good. I think Jones and Mimlin, especially coming in, it just depends a lot upon David Johnson and Samuel Williams. And I think those two players develop uh, and kind of become the in Johnson's case, all league player that they need out of him. And in Samuel Williamson's case, I think being a very good role player that can kind of play the four for them. Uh, so. I'm, I'm not going to sell Louisville stock. I'm not going to necessarily buy. I'll just hold on. Uh, but I think Louisville kind of was coming into the offseason. So, you know, I, I'm actually, as far as that backcourt goes, I'm actually higher on Williamson. I, I, you know, going into last season, I loved Samuel Williamson. I love his jump shot. I love the smoothness to his game. I like his size on the wing. But he... You know, we talked about. Uh, you know, I talked about it with uh, with with assistant coach Dino Gaudio during the season last year. You know, there's just he, he. I don't know if he lacks that killer instinct. You know, that's that could be a, a byproduct of being one of the younger kids on on a very talented and deep um, roster. But with David Johnson, with Sammy Williamson, Louisville has the potential to have maybe the most talented uh, backcourt offensively, certainly. Um, in the ACC next year, but they're both very young, obviously. David Johnson has issues with turnovers, but he has shown flashes of brilliance. Sammy Williamson has shown issues with confidence, but he has also shown the ability to shoot the ball at a very high level. He's an NBA guy. They both are. Um, the The player that you heard Jonathan refer to, Charles Minland, is a... He's... I don't know when he signed. It's been within the last couple of days, I believe. Um uh, is a transfer, graduate transfer from San Francisco in the WCC last year, averaged about 15 points per game. Uh, you know, five boards, two assists, a, a typical do-it-all wing, kind of not a great shooter from three-point uh, from three-point land by any you know estimation. But I think with you know, including Minland, along with uh, Carlick Jones from Radford, and uh, shit, who's the other guy I'm trying to think of? Uh, Ian DeBose. Uh, from Houston Baptist, who is going to uh, uh, Wake Forest. It, I, I would assume that those are the top three transfers coming into the ACC, in your estimation. Which transfer do you think has the largest impact in the 2021 season? Is it any of those three, or is it a different guy, do you think? I think it's Carlos Jones, at least that's my pick. I think he can kind of be that secondary point guard, but with David Johnson, I think he's a good, he's a really good shooter, can make big shots, uh, can score really well. I think he's kind of a, 
play that I would look to make an impact. I think Charles Minling can kind of be up there. I think those are my top two. Uh, the most might have the score the most, uh, but that's because he's on a Wake Forest team that's not really looking too good going into next year. No. Uh, I think as, in terms of overall impact, I think Carlos Jones and Charles Minlin, uh, I'd say Jones is number one and then Minlin is number two in terms of, you know, overall impact I, for I, the ACC. Yeah, I do like, um, he, he's, he's inefficient, but I think he's going to get a lot of opportunity in, in his offense. I do like Cartier Diara. Um, of course, you know we're we're kind of talking with with the previous three guys about guys that are transferring up and in. Uh, Diara is a K State transfer coming into Virginia Tech, who will likely assume the same role that Landers Nolly vacated, which we're going to talk about that in just a second. Um, Diara is incredibly inefficient, but uh, you know for the last what I don't know, John, uh, 15, 20 games of the season last year. So was Landers Nolly. I mean, he was brutal. Um, you know, Diara is, is a power six guy who's coming into the league, who, who's probably going to put up numbers for uh, what I think is going to be a very bad, uh, Virginia Tech team next year. Sam Hauser transfer from Marquette, also a power six guy. Uh, you know, we didn't really take that into consideration. Um, you know, again, these, we're talking trans guys who are transferring up. What uh, what do you think? And I didn't put this on the uh, on the pre-show agenda, so this this maybe take you as a surprise. But what do you think? What what kind of impact is Hauser going to have in in Charlottesville for this upcoming season? I think in terms of offensively, I think he becomes kind of the go-to guy that DeAndre Hunter role offensively, where he can kind of shoot threes, uh, score inside, can kind of do a little of everything. Uh, he'll need to be kind of the go-to guy offensively if Virginia is going to reach the ceiling that they would like to reach. Uh, I think defensively, he's obviously not going to be anything close to DeAndre Hunter because right. DeAndre Hunter was arguably one of the best defenders in the sport that season. I put him top five, in the top, top, top five defender in the sport. Uh, the season he was around, Tim Hauser's not anywhere close to that on the defensive end, but I think he can kind of you know, space the floor at the four spot, go inside, hit open threes, uh, make a big impact offensively. I think that's kind of the role I would expect to see Tim Hauser take this year. Um, I, I don't think there's any question. DeAndre Hunter was in his, what was it, his sophomore year? Sophomore season, right? The year they won the national championship. Redshirt sophomore season. Right. He was, I don't think it's even arguable. He was the best defensive player in the nation. So to expect Sam Hauser to be anywhere near that level is, I mean, that's just, that's blasphemy. I mean, DeAndre Hunter is the kind of talent that you see in the ACC and certainly at Virginia that, you know, only comes along probably once every six to eight years, I would say. You know what I mean? Like, uh, you know, I don't uh, when I don't know when Brogdon was there, but you know DeAndre Hunter is the next generation of the Malcolm Brogdon as far as the the basketball, the college basketball universe goes. Um, Duke goes and and loses three guys: Cassius Stanley, Vernon Carey, Trey Jones, the NBA early entry. Not not unaccustomed to that at this point. They also lose Jack White. They lose Javon Delorier. They lose Alex O'Connell, which we spoke about earlier. They bring in arguably. The, 
maybe not even arguably the best recruiting class in the nation. Um, but they also get Wendell Moore, Matthew Hurt, both decide that they're coming back for their sophomore seasons. It appeared that Matthew Hurt maybe flirted with um, with, with transferring out, ultimately did not. They have, I believe, six incoming freshmen. Let me pull up the sheet real quick. Uh, one, two, three, four, five, six. Six incoming freshmen along with Columbia uh, grad transfer Patrick Tape. So they get Hurt back. They get um, they get Wendell Moore back. They get Joey Baker back. What what do you make of this Duke team? Um, top five, top ten, top twenty five, and and what uh, you know what's their rotation look like? Do you think coming into next season? I think Coach Gay's gonna have to play a lot of guys, which he actually played a lot of guys last season. Um, typically, he plays you know six seven guys throughout his career. Last year, he played a lot of guys that averaged a lot of, a lot of minutes last year. What are you what are you looking at for Duke next year? I think they'll be good. It's I can't really buy them as a national championship level contending team because I just you know Matthew Hurts good. I can't trust him to, to be the you know, go-to guy offensively, maybe take a step forward. Jalen Johnson, certainly good. Jeremy Roach uh, looks like he's going to be. With this team, I see kind of a team that is going to take some lumps in non-conference play. Well, they did last year when they had be, Yeah, I think this this team is built for to win a national championship in 2022 more than it is to win now in the 2020-21 season, I think they'll be good this year. I think they can... Well, they never win the ACC title, so they <laughs> won't win it this year. Uh, but they can finish second in the ACC, I guess, behind <laughs> Virginia, just a game back, because that's how it goes every single year, Duke's in contention for an ACC regular season title. I think they'll be good. Uh, I think they'll take their lumps throughout the season. I think they'll lose the... Maybe they lose the Wake at home or something like that. Uh, you know, they'll, they'll lose games they're not supposed to. Uh, they'll be good. They'll compete near the top of the ACC, lose it by a game to Virginia, and go their merry way, I guess. Uh, and I think in terms of this recruiting class, in terms of players coming back, Wendell Moore, Matthew Hurt, I think everything is pointing towards the next season more so than it is pointing to this season. Maybe they'll be a championship-level contender, make a Final Four or something like that, and they'll prove me wrong. But I just see this team being more geared towards the 2022 uh, national championship more so than the 2021 national championship. Yeah, I think you know it, it, this. This kind of reminds me. It's a better incoming class, but what this reminds me of is back when the Fab Five, um, you know, when when Jalen uh, Rose, Juwan Howard, Chris Webber all went pro, Michigan was left with you know Ray Jackson and Jimmy King, and those were, you know, you know coming in, Jimmy King was very highly regarded, but actually in college, he was you know him and Ray Jackson were the two other guys in the Fab Five, and I think that's kind of what you have as far as the situation goes with Duke is. You have the two other guys from a very good class last year. Matthew Hurt, I thought maybe would lead the team in scoring last year, and like you said, he, he's gonna be, he's gonna have those games. He you know he's gonna have those 20, 23 point games where he gets twenty three and eight something like that. But then he's also gonna have the seven point games where he goes 
you know, two for nine from the floor and, and gets four rebounds and, and just is thoroughly outplayed. I think what you're looking at with this year's team, I think you're absolutely correct. I think, I don't know if any of these guys are considered one and done players, but there's so many avenues to the NBA at this point that, you know, I could certainly see them leaving after one season. I think DJ Stewart is the guy that leads this team in scoring next year. Um, I'm really interested to see Jamin Breakfield because I've, sure, I've heard so much about him. And, and then I'm really interested to see Mark Williams, who is a behemoth. I don't know if any of you guys have seen Mark Williams, but he's 7'4". They basically carved him out of granite and activated him with, with a bolt of lightning. And, I mean, the guy is a fucking monster. So I'm going to be very interested to see how this Duke team plays next year. They're loaded with talent. they got eight, nine guys that can all play. Joey Baker can shoot the ball, but who knows if Coach K will play in more than six and a half seconds per game. Duke's going to be a very interesting team next year. I don't know if they're better than North Carolina. I don't think they're better than Virginia. But uh, I, I can't wait to see how Coach K manages this roster. One of the better players in the ACC last year, uh, one of the, certainly one of the better freshmen in, in the ACC last year, Landers Nolly, decided to transfer instead of go pro, uh, left Virginia Tech, <clears throat> and has landed at, at Memphis with Penny Hardaway. I, I don't understand this, really. Um, that's kind of a loaded perimeter right now. Um, Certainly, I'm not going to put Anthony Hardaway on the same level of coaching as Mike Young. And I'm certainly not going to say that Landers Nolly is going to get more opportunities on the offensive end with Penny than he did with Mike Young because Mike Young centered that entire offense around Nolly last year. I don't know if there was friction in the locker room. I don't know anything about it. I'm not even going to pretend to know. Um, what, are, what are your thoughts on him leaving? What are your thoughts on him transferring instead of going pro? And what are your thoughts on where he landed, and is it a better fit? It it makes some sense if he is able to get waiver and play immediately. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, I would have just gone back to Virginia Tech and just, you know, with Virginia Tech, this year he was going to be the four. Mm -hmm. I'm like, I think the thing is he's kind of tired of banging with, you know, fours and fives in the ACC and that kind of wore him out. I think the addition of Kelly Aluva uh, kind of would take that away at least this season. Uh, so it didn't make a ton of sense for him to transfer. Uh, if he did, I I thought Georgia was a really good fit for him. Which he had committed Georgia, to before. He been, He's been yeah, committed to Georgia before. Been, <laughs> I think that would have been a better fit. Uh, he would he would have gotten a waiver because he's from Georgia, right? Yeah, that's right. Yep. Okay. I I'm, I was like 99% sure that was the case, uh, but not 110% sure. Uh, he was kind of been asked to be more of the four for the team. Memphis, Memphis is the cool team, uh, so I can go to Memphis. You know, wear short shorts with uh, Lester Quinones and uh, <laughs> be, you know, Memphis cool team. Uh, but I think it, it didn't make a ton of sense. Uh, maybe he'll go to Pay Hardaway and, you know, score 15 points a night and get to the NBA. And we're sitting here a year from now all looking silly, but. Uh, he, I just didn't think that 
fit made a ton of sense. He, he's going to play in the NBA. I mean, he, he's a six-seven wing who can shoot the shit out of the ball. Um, you know, but you know, the freshman wall is, is a real thing. I mean, we can't deny it at this point. That, but this kid, you know, he <laughs> he's kind of been through the fucking ringer as far as his as far as his college you know career has gone. He was somewhat persecuted by the NCAA for an ACT score that they said was, you know, kind of didn't fit given his academic record in high school. Then he goes out and while he's suspended from the team, you know, makes the Dean's list and is an academic All-American in the ACC. And then, you know, what, you know, what is that? You know, NCAA, you know, shrugs his shoulders and walks away and, and tries to take some attention off of, you know, Duke handing out suitcases full of cash. But, I mean, and now his coach leaves and he plays for Mike Young and maybe it doesn't go so well in the locker room. I don't know. That's me speculating. Then he goes through this thing. People give him shit because of how he chose Virginia Tech in the first place. He did a tournament-style, bracket-style you know, thing in his recruitment. Now he goes to Memphis. People are criticizing him about the fit, the coach, the, you know, the, the playing time, the shots, all that shit. The kid just – but you know, he hasn't had it easy, but he also hasn't made it easy on himself. Um, received some criticism for how he played late in the season last year. And I think if he gets a waiver, it, it would be so nice for him to for him to play the entire season like he played the first 12 games of last season and go on like a Tom Brady fuck you, you know, type parade and just blow through the AAC. What, no, they don't. Do they play in the AAC? What conference do they play in? Yes, the AAC. Yeah, they, you know so they, they'll, they'll have a uh, one tough team to play right, all season. Right, exactly. Season. And you know he blows through the AAC, averages twenty two points a game, goes to the NBA with you know with deuces in the air, and, and makes a hundred billion dollars. So he he's going to be in the league, a six seven guy who can shoot it. He needs to play better defense, but he can play mid range post. He can you know he can do all that stuff. That's in his arsenal. So I've been rooting for the kid for three years now, and I'm going to continue to root for him. Um, uh, another kid that, you know, we talked about Carl Jones, we, we've talked about Charles Minland, we've talked about Ian DeBose, another kid who may possibly find himself landing in the ACC is a transfer from Gardner-Webb named, uh, Gardner named Jose Perez. Um, he's setting up virtual visits. <clears throat> I'm not, I don't think any ACC squads made that list yet, but I don't think he's cut the list yet either. These are just visits that he's set up. If, for those who don't know, this is an unranked kid from New York City who had one D1 offer, I believe. That was Gardner-Webb. As a true freshman at Gardner-Webb, those guys both made the tournament and during the regular season played Wake Forest, um, Virginia Tech, and uh, Georgia Tech. I believe they went 2-1 and one in that stretch. They may have gone 3-0. and oh. He held his own. Um, he's kind of a do-it-all guy. Do you think he could be an impact player at the ACC level, J-Dub? I think he could potentially be an impact player. Uh, I didn't exactly know what was going on at Gardner-Webb. I probably left the team for a while. Uh, we'll see kind of if he can if he can get his you know head on straight. I think it, if he goes to the ACC, he could you know make an impact. Uh, not going to say I'm the leader in Jose Perez news or anything like that, hmm. but certainly. Why I watched him play, he looked good to me and uh, is definitely a player that I think if, if he's able to, you know, mentally be in the game and playing 
uh, at his top level, I think can make definitely make an impact at the ACC level. This has been a, a hot topic of conversation uh, within the Rock and Twenty Five DMs. Um, where where do you stand on the immediate transfer eligibility issue? Is, are you a, an immediate eligibility guy, or should they sit? Should they? You know, wh- wh- where do you stand here? I it it's kind of a thing that I'm not you know going to pick either say, side and say I'm wrong. I can see it kind of from both perspectives. For coaches, uh, you recruit a kid, you land a kid, and he just enters the transfer portal. I can see where that comes becomes like a situation. Mm-hmm. Uh, and obviously with roster turnover, uh, transfer credits, you you go from one school to the next school, all of a sudden you go from you know being set to graduate uh, on time, maybe even early if you take summer classes that all of a sudden you're on track you have to go an extra year in order to graduate i can see where that from a graduation perspective uh, can be a negative i also look can look at from the other side and say well why are we restricting transfers from playing why should you know one player can't can't transfer and other players can transfer uh and play immediately uh, with these waivers that are given out. I think there needs to be more clarity in the process. Maybe a one-time transfer rules, what works out best. Maybe it you know, doesn't work out quite as well. I just would like a, a little bit more clarity with the system in play uh, and kind of get to know, you know the odds and ends of the system. If we are going to do it, I think there need to be some legislation to a one-time transfer rule. You have to meet with your coaches. Uh, you have to get approval to leave the school. I don't think kids should be putting themselves in the portal and you know packing their bags and leaving right away. I think there needs to be some sort of legislation or something to keep it from getting too high in terms of the numbers. But ultimately, if the kid wants to leave, doesn't see the situation being best fit, I think in that situation, uh, it would be good for uh, them. So I, I'm not, not really too sold on either issue. I can see the negatives and positives on both sides, and that's kind of my takeaway, and I just, I could kind of care less, I guess, the rule <laughs> uh, Long story short, if it passes, good for the kids, I guess. If it doesn't pass, it's probably also good for some kids. There's kids and players that are going to benefit from it. Uh, there are players in that will not benefit from it. Uh, it's just here, here, the latest thing that is, and I really don't care a ton about it. Here's where I'm at. <clears throat> And I'll give you an opportunity to rebut if you want, or you can pass, and we'll we'll wrap this fucking thing up. Um, if the coach doesn't leave, and there's not an event in your life, say, you know, your dad passes away, and you want to be you want to go home and, and be close to your mom, that's understandable. If the coach that recruited you leaves and bolts for you know, you know, a fifty percent pay raise across the country, and you want to leave, cool. But 
if you jumped in bed with Coach K in a suitcase, you know, just simply because Duke recruited you, and then all of a sudden you sit and, and only play seven minutes per game for your freshman season because you didn't give any thought to which school you actually wanted to go to, which school didn't fit academically, which school didn't fit you uh, playing time-wise, which school didn't fit you roster-wise, which school didn't have an opening for you, which school whatever. If you didn't put any thought into where you want to go for your secondary education, then you sit here. And I think what we need to do is, and I know this is going to get me some DMs like a motherfucker, but what you need to do is, and what I would like to see happen is, let's start holding the kids accountable for where they go to college. And at, and at some form, this becomes kind of a, we've gotten a little soft on this, but I understand that there are certain situations where a kid wants to go home. For instance, at Georgia Tech, Kyle Sturdivant is a, a local, he's a Norcross legend, okay, which is a suburb of Atlanta. He went to USC. Great. I mean, that happens all the time. Georgia is a hotbed of talent as far as basketball goes. They go all over the country. They go to Kentucky. They go to UCLA. They go to Oregon. They go to USC. Sturdivant's not the first guy. Sturdivant goes out to California. His dad dies. He wants to come home. Cool. Give that fucking kid a waiver and let him play right now. Day one. The day he gets off the plane, he should be able to play for Georgia Tech. Now, I know what you're saying. You're a Georgia Tech guy, blah, 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 blah. That's not what this is. That's just an example of things that are going on and things that I believe should get you a waiver. And and for the most part, I believe that the NCAA has done a pretty good job in, in passing waivers such as that. But... I, th- I think there needs to be some kind of line, some kind of, and whether or not it, it's going to be arbitrary, regardless of where you put that line. But for instance, um, Jordan Tucker, who just just left uh, Butler to go pro, that kid went to Duke because Duke kind of said, "Hey, we know you've been a Duke fan since you was five years old. Here's a scholarship offer." He went there, and the roster had no room for him. He's a he's a high three, low four kid who's going to a roster full of five-star guys. He's not going to play. What happened? He transferred three months after he enrolled in school. I, 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 you got to give some thought to where you're going, what school you're going to, what their situation is. And, and you need to give some, some thought academically to what you want to do because basketball doesn't always work out. So that's kind of where I'm at. I will give you an opportunity to rebut if you'd like or else we can move on. Yeah, I think we can move on. I think that's... <laughs> It's a, just a really tricky subject that I just don't care to dive my heels too deep in either side because I, I can see where you know, the benefits that they're sitting out a year. Sure. Uh, and maybe you know, my thinking is maybe you sit a half semester, mm-hmm. uh, so you transfer after the season, you sit out a half semester, you still guy get academically caught up in the new school or something like that. I think, you know, maybe a half semester for every player that transfers is a better idea than, you know, just giving everyone. I I just think it's it's feeling like, it's feeling like, you know, professional free agency where you can void your contract whenever you feel like it. And I'm not, I'm not huge on that. I, and I, I know that I probably fucked up in, in my little rant there that I just said people are going to come at me with hate. But I promise you that it's not a, 
You know, I'm not the get off my lawn guy. I'm not that guy, but I'm also not the, yeah, do whatever you want guy either. I'm somewhere in the middle. So um, <clears throat> to wrap it up, we talked about, you know, teams that we thought would regress. Um, you you kind of, you put the spotlight on Florida State. I put the spotlight on Notre Dame and Louisville. On the, on the flip side of that coin, what is a team that, that maybe takes you think takes the biggest jump as far as the standings go uh, in the upcoming season? Which which program you think rebounds on the on the highest level as far as the ACC goes this year? Well, I think it would kind of be dumb not to say North Carolina because mm-hmm. they finished last place. Uh, even if they you know kind of underachieved, they're going to finish like you know, maybe sixth or seventh place in the ACC, which is still a dramatic improvement from last place in the ACC, which is where they were last year. I think, you know, as a team, they're a lot more talented. Do I, do I, I'm not completely sold on North Carolina being maybe a top 20 team next season. I think Caleb Love is certainly good. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's a little bit better fit for this team than Cole Anthony certainly was. Anthony Harris, you can get, you know, better production from him. But, you know, maybe Leaky Black takes a step forward, but you know the thing is, I just, I don't trust the roster construction enough to completely buy in on North Carolina because you know four of their maybe five best players are big men: mm-hmm. Garrison Brooks, Armando Baycott, Pup Johnson, Walker Kessler. They all they all play the same position. I it just that's not fitting into me and kind of, you know, in the backcourt, a lot of pieces that I don't really trust a whole lot. Do I think they'll be much better? Yes. Do I think they'll be maybe, I think they'll be a top 25 team. Do I think they're anywhere close to competing for a national championship? No, but I think they'll, they'll make a definite step forward this year. What do you, I, we haven't talked about it yet, and you and I have, have you know talked about it via text and DM. Georgia Tech finished higher than they have in recent memory last year, finishing fourth. Obviously, you know, of course, it was a year in which they were ineligible for postseason play, as well as a year when we didn't have postseason play to begin with. Going into next season, they lose James Banks. That's really the only the only loss of of you know worth note, but it is a big loss. What are your thoughts on on Josh Pastner and the Yellow Jackets for next year? I think they're pretty much going to be a little bit better version of what they were last year. I think everyone's going to take a little bit of a step forward next year, and I think they can probably you know end up competing for an NCAA tournament bid if they're able to do work in the non-con portion of their league. Uh, if they're able to pick up a couple wins mm-hmm. there, uh, get a couple quadrant one wins, uh, will be, uh, it's been a fat minute since I've been talking about quadrant one wins and that, but if they can pick up a couple of those, I think, you know, ACC, they went over 500 last season. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think they'll probably in the ACC, I think the ACC will be much improved. Where if they have that same record in ACC play and do a little bit better in non-conference play, I think they, you know, have a chance to make the NCAA tournament this season uh, or next season. I guess looking at it, that is a that is a fantastic way 
to end the first episode that I've done in six weeks. Man, I appreciate you coming on, brother. It's always a good time when we get together as far as talking college basketball. And uh, go ahead and uh, and plug your stuff, and I'll, I'll let you get on with your Friday night. Well, thanks again for having me on. I guess for Twitter, follow me at Bracketologist3. Uh, posted my latest Bracketology about a week ago. <laughs> uh, it's the pinned tweet in the uh, profile. So if you follow me there, just click on that and send your bracket questions, comments, critiques, uh, all, all the stuff you do with that. And... Until then, thanks again for having me on the podcast. It was definitely a good time to catch up on college basketball, and I'm sure we'll talk sooner than rather than later. Absolutely. He's Jonathan Warner. He is the owner of MakingTheMadness.com, as well as the Making the Madness uh, podcast. He has very similar guests to me, guys. He's John Goodman. I believe you've had Rob Doster on. So go ahead and head over there. Uh, check his podcast out. I've been on it before. It's a fun podcast. It's very similar to this one. And uh, J-Dub's a good guy. Jay, thanks for joining me, brother. I'll talk to you. Thanks again for having me on. Thanks, man. Talk to you soon. That was Jonathan Warner uh, MakingTheMadness.com. Did I say Did I say John Goodman at the end of that episode? I think I did. I meant Jeff Goodman. I don't. I don't think he has had the actor John Goodman on his show. I don't. I don't know how that college basketball conversation would go if i did say jeff goodman then good on me but i am almost 100 percent positive that i said john goodman on that um <laughs> anyway uh good to be back with you guys you know if you guys have listened before you know j-dub is he, he's a guy that i've had on multiple times i don't, I don't know how regular it's going to be i'm still planning on you know starting with my toe and, and we'll wade in to the water here and i'll make a full comeback in probably late july and, and into august but I wanted to talk about kind of the, the hot stove season, which seems to be kind of winding down. People are finding their places as far as where they're going to play next year. So I hope you guys really enjoyed it. I really enjoyed it. Um, you know, again, feel free to hit me up on Twitter at ACCBR1. Uh, visit the, the website to, to see any hot stove action. And there's been a ton of it in the ACC this year. ACCBasketballReport.com. Don't forget, like, rate, review, share the podcast. Um, I, I assume that with you guys all home, that this this pod should do well. There's a plethora of information on this on today's show, so I hope you guys really enjoyed it. And uh, I guess that's it. I'll I'll see you when I see you. But I am back on Twitter. Feel free to hit me up with any questions you may have. Later. <laughs>